0: This is the Rise City Church Sermon Podcast. We are a church in Gresham, Oregon, on a mission to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. We would love for you to join us on Sundays. For more information, check out our website, rise.cc. Whether you already follow Jesus or are exploring Christianity, we hope that you experience the power of God through this message. We are such a woo church. If you are new, you are learning quickly. You're supposed to say woo whenever we ask you anything. That is the correct answer, apparently. So I love it. Hey, you're so grateful to gather. Uh, we get to gather under the Word, sit under the teachings of Christ, and what we're doing is we're looking at what does it mean to be disciples of Jesus, okay? Jesus did not come to convert people to another religion, Jesus came to call disciples. And so we, over the last few months, have just been exploring this over and over. So whether you've been with us for these months, whether you're brand new, just kind of a recap of what discipleship to Jesus is. It looks at three areas. First, a disciple is somebody who wants to be with Jesus. We fall in love with him as we spend time with him and we walk with him. Second, a disciple becomes like Jesus. We are made in his image. We walk and we talk and we act like our rabbi. And third, a disciple does what Jesus did. We actually join him on his mission. And so what we've been looking at is this process of of being formed deeply spiritually. How do we spend time in prayer? How do we spend time slowing down and walking the pace of Jesus? And there's a purpose behind all of this. It's so that we can become more and more in his image. And, and so what I want to look at over the next few weeks is I want to look at the wholeness and healing that we find in Christ. And in particular today, I want to look at this idea that we are being made new, that, that God is actually making us into a new creature. And so uh, can you do, do me a favor, grab a Bible and uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You don't have a Bible, we have Bibles on the tables all around the room, and uh, also I'm going to have the passages on the screen, but I want you to be in the text. Our source of all goodness and truth comes from the text itself. It is the Holy Spirit inspired to speak to us about our relationship with Jesus. And so Paul Paul is writing a letter. Paul is one of the early apostles, one of the early founders of the church, and he's writing these epistles, these letters to these churches to remind them of the gospel, to remind of the life transformation that's taken place. And and where we pick up here, he's kind of explaining um, a, a way how everybody kind of thinks Paul's crazy. And he's explaining that he's not actually crazy, but as you follow Jesus, you're going to look so radically different than the people around you, than the world around you, that people are going to be like, what is wrong? like what's wrong with that person? Why do they think and talk and act and behave in such a way? And so this is what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. He says, for if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, or or, or another translation would say compels us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, first, as we begin to change in the image of Jesus, people are going to look at you, They're going to treat you like you're crazy because what you value, how you behave, how you spend your time, how you recreate, how you speak, it will look completely foreign and contrary to the world around you as Jesus is making you and molding you more and more into his image. And let me just tell you, in Christ, you are not crazy. You are compelled. You you are compelled by something so different. This phrase beside ourselves, and means out of your mind. He's like, hey! If you think I'm out of my my mind, it's because I love God, and I actually care about you. See, these this these Corinthian Christians—they're watching Paul, and they're like, this guy's insane. He like longs for he talks about how he longs for the pain he longs for the trials he longs for the discomfort because it brings glory to God and it connects him to Jesus and people are just like man like you he's constantly just going around doing these insane things paul is constantly he's risking he's the kind of guy who's always risking his life for others he he was told by the holy spirit as he goes into these cities he is going to face imprisonment and beatings and he's like i'm going anyway Like, that's part of my testimony, part of my life. Paul, once uh, we see in Acts 20, this story where Paul is preaching, and he just keeps preaching. And he's preaching and preaching and preaching, and it reaches midnight. And this poor guy, Eutychus, is like sitting in a window. And Eutychus falls out of the window, and he falls three stories to his death. And so Paul stops walks away from his pulpit, walks down the stairs, raises him back to life, goes back up, has a meal, and then keeps preaching, right? I'm like, this is Paul. One of my favorite preaching books ever, uh, the title of it is called Saving Uticus. right? And, and I'm just like, like, how do you preach not boring sermons, right? And, and I'm like, but this is Paul. This is, so people are like, this guy's crazy. At one point, uh, we're, we're told a story where he travels to this island, And the the locals are just celebrating his arrival. And so they're building this fire, and Paul just wants to help. So he grabs this pile of wood, and he puts this pile of wood on the fire. And the heat of this flame causes a viper to come out, of the, uh, come out of this wood pile and bite him on his hand. And so all the locals, they're like freaked out. They're like, he's cursed. Like if you get bit by a viper, you're cursed and you're dead. And Paul just like shakes the viper off into the fire and like turns around and just starts preaching. Nothing happens. People look at Paul and they're like, he's crazy. And what Paul is saying, he's like, no, 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 I'm not crazy. I am compelled by something different. I live differently because I have a different drive. And, and here, just as you start to follow Jesus, as you start coming to church, you're, you're sitting in your school or your coffee shop, you're, you're reading your Bible. People are going to look at you and don't think they're just going to accept you for this change in your life. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. Christians believe crazy things. Can I just say it? We believe in loving our enemies. That's that, That's insane. That we would love those who who persecute us. We would pray for those who persecute us. That that we would live a life of holiness. That we actually abstain from certain things because we want to love others and glorify God. That we we consider it joy when we face hardships. Like, do not be confused. The way of Jesus is craziness to the world. But you are not compelled by the same things. You must, not, you must be compelled by Christ's love, not culture's approval. So we have to live differently, and we have to walk differently in these things. Eugene Peterson, in his uh, paraphrase, the message, he paraphrases this passage this way. He said, says, Paul's saying, if I acted crazy, I did it for God. If I acted overly serious, I did it for you. Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His love has the first and the last word in everything that we do. See, if the gospel is what motivates us, we will look more and more and more and more like Christ. But if culture's approval is what motivates us, um, you will have an identity crisis on a weekly basis because the target is always moving. There's different morality week by week, month by month, year by year. And, and we feel it. We feel this this shifting. Have you seen these yard signs? Okay, you drive, drive through uh, Portland and maybe even places in Gresham, you see these yard signs? And they have, they have all these virtues on them, right? And, and, and they say things like, love is love. Women's rights are human rights. Black lives matter. We are all immigrants. And they're all actually different. And what this is is this, this massive virtue signaling. It's, it, what it's saying is, hey, I'm moral. Like, like I, 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 I agree I I fit the cultural narrative of of what you're portraying. And they're all different because nobody's sure what week we're, we're supposed to affirm. See, this is the problem when we just blindly accept and affirm all these concepts rather than a biblical truth and a biblical narrative. We have reached a point in our world where politics is the new religion. And if you are a follower of Jesus, listen to me, both sides will hate you both sides will think you are crazy because, because Jesus does not bend his knee to any political ideology. He is the king and we have to surrender to him and what he teaches. And so if we have to be shaped by a biblical ethic that we follow Jesus and he is the one who defines what's right. He is the one who defines what's moral. He is the one who defines what is righteous. And we, we, we look at our value and others' value from what he says. Their value is. And so we walk in these things. And so listen, as a Christian, you should be the loudest voice defending the lives of the unborn and the loudest voice speaking on behalf of the immigrants, the minority, the widow, and the orphan, because that's what Jesus did. And so you don't just say, hey, hey, what does my, uh, my tribe think? You know, what is, what, what, what is my color? What is my band? What, 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 do, what do they say about this? No, what does Jesus say? See, as Christians, we have to think biblically about things like marriage and gender and love. And so people go around saying these, you know, kind of ethereal things, virtue signaling. Well, no, love is love. Is that what Christians believe? No, we believe God is love. He is love. You can't just like have this random non-definition of everything. No, Jesus is the definition of all truth. And Jesus is the definition of all love. And what he says goes. And what he defines goes, and so we, we need to be the most loving people on the planet because every single human being that we interact with on a daily basis is created in his image. And stop dividing these lines of, okay, where is my political party? Where is my neighborhood? Where is my community? Where is my state? Where is my city? How does it define these things? No, human value, human worth, human dignity is defined by Jesus, And so we follow after him. And so even as as followers of Jesus, we we actually have to celebrate things and pursue things like diversity. And we have to speak out against injustice. And we have to empower women. And we have to defend the voiceless, not because these are the, the demands of our culture, but because the love of Christ compels us to. Before it was trendy Before it was fun, before it was celebrated, when when our world was dividing by color and language, Jesus was declaring he is making a new people. And one day, every tribe and every tongue and every nation will worship him in unison as one family. And so that has to be our source. See, See, our world that we find ourselves in, the morality of it, it changes quicker than the rise and fall of the tides. You never know what it's going to be, but the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, they have been steadfast in their human ethics about women, race, gender, marriage, immigrants, the oppressed, and the marginalized. And listen to me, if people really knew what Jesus taught and why, it actually would begin to tap into the the deepest longings of their souls. You are not crazy. You are compelled by something different. You are not living for people's approval. You are walking in the footsteps of your Savior, your Creator, who has defined you and named you and gives you clarity around these things. I, I was having a conversation with a gal a couple weeks ago, and she's just like Portland to the core, right? You're just Portland to the core. Tattoos, short pink hair, like different kids with different dads, that does, has, wants nothing to do with Christianity Okay, she she subscribes to astrology and the universe, and she thinks Christians are insane, bigoted, and outdated. But we're friends, so we talk about Jesus. Okay, <laughs> and she knows I'm a pastor, and so she's always like, "Man, I got questions for you." Whenever she sees me, like, and so so we we bring up different topics each time I each time I interact with her and see her. And I was like, "Okay, what's the topic today?" She goes, "Women." I was like, "Sweet, let's go." Like, what do you think what do you think about Christianity and women? And she goes, she goes, "Christians are so oppressive and the Bible hates women." I was like, "Girl." <laughs> do you realize that that Jesus is one of the first known rabbis to have women disciples? She's like, say what? I'm like, yeah, read your Bible. Like, it's actually in there. Do you realize that when the disciples are walking around, right, that they need places to stay and food to eat? Do you know who funded them? It tells us in Luke 5 who funded them. A group of entrepreneurial rich women were funding Jesus and his disciples as he's walking around so many times. Do you realize when Jesus rose from the grave, the first person he reveals himself to is a woman in the garden? Do you know why that's so significant? It's this picture of Jesus redeeming. You get this picture because Mary Magdalene looks at him and she she thinks he's the gardener. What's it drawing us back to? It's drawing us back to Genesis 2 where this woman eats the fruit and it's the begin of the fall of all humanity. And Jesus says, I am the redemption of all humanity. And who does he do that to? To a woman. Jesus loves women. In the early church, we see over and over all these women we see Priscilla, she's, a hel- she's helping establish correct theology in the church. We see Lydia, she's hosting the church at Philippi in her home. We see Phoebe, this deaconess who's delivering Paul's letters to the churches. In the Old Testament, I'm like, you want to go Old Testament? There's an entire book about a woman named Esther. You know what she does? She saves the Jews. She saves the nation of Israel because she's the only one who had the power and the courage to do so. She is willing to lay down her life, to risk her life, to save others. I'm like, this is what the Bible teaches. This is what the way of Jesus is literally the most empowering movement for women in human history. And she's like, I had no idea. And I'm like, the problem is you get your theology about Jesus from TikTok and not from Scripture. We need to let Jesus speak for himself. People will think you're crazy. But let them think you're crazy for the right reasons. Not because of cultural ideologies or what they grew up hearing in church. Let them think you're crazy because the way you love people recklessly. As you follow the message of Jesus Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, she has this incredible book called The Secular Creed, okay? If you wrestle through any of these um, topics, race, gender, uh, marriage, homosexuality, which means anyone in this room, okay? If you're like, how do I think biblically and Jesus-like, this is the book to read. It's called The Secular Creed. But she's talking about these yard signs. And this is what she says, To our 21st century Western ears, Love across racial and cultural differences, the equality of men and women, and the idea that the poor, oppressed, and marginalized can make moral claims on the strong, rich, and powerful sound like basic moral common sense, but they are not. These truths have come to us from Christianity. Rip that foundation out, and you won't Uncover a better basis for human equality and rights. You'll uncover an abyss that cannot even tell you what a human being is. Like cartoon characters running off a cliff, we may continue a short way before we realize that the ground has gone from underneath our feet. But it has gone. Without Christian beliefs about humanity, the yard signs claims aren't worth the cardboard on which they are written. Yeah, take it easy, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> what she's saying is we have to understand that, that these are, are moral obligations. The value of human beings is found in the teachings of Jesus. And is founded on the teachings of Jesus. That we are created in his image. That we have value because he declared our worth. See, do not bow to the cruel gods of culture or politics. Bow to the way of Jesus and nothing else. See, in being formed in his image, you should look nothing like the world around you. You should be formed by his perfect fullness of grace and truth. And people are going to think you are crazy, but you are not crazy. You are compelled by something different than the rest of the world. You are compelled by the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus. So stop caring what people around you think about you. It changes week by week. It changes day by day. And care about what your Savior says. Care about Jesus because he is our rabbi. He is who we are following. And so we have to be compelled by his love. Somebody asked Paul, man, why are you doing this all? Why are you living in this way? Why all the pain and all the trials? Paul would say, I have to. I have received the love of Christ. And if the love of Christ is in my heart, heart first and foremost, it means that I love him above all else. But second of all, if the love of Christ is in my heart, it means I love people around me. That's what drives me to love them. See, we are moved by the grace and love of Jesus. And as we do that, we are no longer motivated by what the world thinks of us. We end up looking like nothing else and no one else in this world. Man, when I was in high school, between my freshman year and my sophomore year, um, I transferred schools, but I, I went through this like, like radical transformation in my heart because I fell in love with Jesus. And so I showed up at this new school and I, I looked nothing uh, like I did previously, and I acted nothing like I did previously. But, but I had three elements that I would walk around wearing every day. One, I would wear flip-flops every day. I grew up in California. It was sunny and warm. Flip-flops every day, right? There, it, and uh, I had a, a backwards baby blue hat that I wore every single day. It said North Carolina on it. I have no connection to North Carolina. I just like the hat, right? <laughs> every day. That thing smelled funky, right? But every day, you know, a teenager. And I had this leather-bound Bible. And I was this crazy kid that I, I would roll into my school, okay? Like, I loved, I loved my truck, and I put these big subwoofers in it, and I would roll the windows down, and I, I would listen to gospel gangsters on my way. And that's a real band, I promise you, I, on the way to school, right? <laughs> People were just like, this kid is crazy. He's, he's like 140 pounds of just like wacko. I never went to a party. I, ne- I went to one party. One party all my high school years. And you know why I went to one party? Because my sister, my little sister went to one party. So if she's going to go to a party, I'm going to be at that party. We sat on the porch until she was ready to go home, okay? (laughs) And people thought I was weird. People were like, this guy, they weren't like, oh man, he's so cool with his Bible and his flip-flops, right? (laughs) Like, this guy's a loser, right? But you know what happened when people's lives started falling apart? They knew who to turn to. Man, I, I remember Vanessa when she got pregnant in our junior year of high school. And she would come during study hall and she would always come find me and sit next to me. And I would tell her and teach her about the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus as she was dealing with the guilt and shame of her friends and her family. I I remember Courtney coming to me the summer before our senior year, after she had a horrible experience at a party involving alcohol and roofies and she said can I, can I start coming to church with you I said Courtney you know you can start coming to church with me I remember when Mike Valin who was part of our science class drowned over the weekend and we just sat there devastated and my teacher said Jason can you can you stand up and just pray over us see People will call you all kinds of things. They'll call you crazy. They'll call you bigoted. They'll call you weird. They'll call you strange. They'll call you weak. They'll call you loser. But when life starts falling apart, they'll call you. They'll call you. Because you are compelled by something different. And is not the approval of the world. It is the love of Christ. Paul continues on. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come in Christ. You are not old, but new. You are a new creation. Since Christ died for us, we no longer view the people around us according to the flesh, the same worldly standards. See, because on the cross, Jesus declared their worth. You know what something's worth? How you define something's worth? It's what someone is willing to pay for it. And Jesus declared once and for all on the cross, you're worth, you're worth dying for. And so that is the value we see in people. And since Christ died for us, we are now dead to our old selves. We no longer are driven by our old desires. We no longer are living our old story. We no longer find our identity in what the world says about us, but in Christ who has made us new. Listen, in Christ, you are new. All that old stuff, it's gone. Spurgeon puts it like this. He says, I know no language. I believe there is none that can express a greater or more thorough or more radical renewal. Than that which is expressed in the term "you are a new creation," and this is the most beautiful phrase: "you are new in Christ." Part of what it means to be formed in the image of Jesus is allowing these old aspects of our character to die upon the cross with Jesus. Those things that you hate about yourself, Jesus put them to death. Those sins, those failures, those shortcomings, Jesus put them to death. This is what it means. See, the cross is where your old self was put to death. The grave is where your bondage has been left to rot. The resurrection declares you are new in Christ. So you guys, let's live like it. Let's live like we are new creations. There's this uh, trend going around. I don't know if you guys have seen it, where, where parents are pranking their kids, and they walk in the room, and they say, hey, uh, this lady down the street wants to fight me, but she's got a kid your age, like, literally going up to, like, a four- or five-year-old, like, and, and so, like, I, I need you to come with me, get your shoes on, right? And so, most of the time, the kids are, like, what, what, like what, what is even, like, they're just rattled, like, what is even happening? But every once in a while, some of these videos, the kids are, like, like, let's go, where's my gloves, you know? <laughs> and then the parents are, like, kind of freaked out, like, what is happening, you know? Like, this little, you know, like, I thought, I thought this was, you know, my, my little Princess Peyton and she's ready to rumble, like, what's happening, you know? <laughs> Or I watched another lady who went to her, or like her elderly mom, you know, just barely walking around and said the same thing. Like, oh, and she's got a mom and we got to fight. And so she, the, the old lady starts walking away and she's like, mom, where are you going? She's like, well, I got to take my slippers off, you know? Like. <laughs> and and these, these parents think it's this, this hilarious prank, you know? And then they're all of a sudden like, like weird. Like this is, this is what's happening to you. When, when your old self rears its head, that's your old self. It throws you off guard, doesn't it, right? You're like, man, I, I just want to follow Jesus. Like, I, I, I want to live for him. And all of a sudden, like, you hear some gossip and you're like, say what? <laughs> like, spill the tea. You're like, oh, no, that's my that's my old self, right? You're like drawn in. Or, like, you know, last year during the Super Bowl halftime show, your, your kids are like, mommy, why do you know all these songs from 90s hip-hop artists, right? You know, it's your old self. It's still, it's rearing its head. But Jesus says, no, you're done with that. See, when you feel that temptation of your old self to reach for that bottle, to lash out in anger, to lust in your heart, to steal when no one's looking to cheat, when you know you won't get caught, to manipulate, to win the argument, you need to declare with theological certainty in Christ, that is no longer me. That part of me is dead and Christ has set me free. I am now a new creation and no longer has bondage. The only power that that has is the power that I give it. The only influence that that has over me is the influence that I allow it. See, we we need to walk in the freedom of Christ. And that freedom means we have the freedom to choose to walk in this newness of life. C.S. Lewis puts it like this in Mere Christianity, and it's just so powerful and beautiful. He says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish one either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. And Paul is saying, that's not you anymore. No, you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. I I want you to see some of these identity words of who you are in Christ. This is your new identity. You are accepted. You are redeemed. You are changed, you are complete, you are free, you are forgiven, you are chosen, you are blessed, you are healed. How does a chosen and accepted person live? Lives differently. How does a forgiven and healed person love? They love differently. We've we've heard it said, hurt people, hurt people. And I think it's true, but guess what else? Healed people, heal people. Redeemed people, redeemed people. People filled with hope fill people with hope. So we should love differently. How does an accepted and changed person, how do they talk? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And you know what I love about these words? As I, as I look at them and I, and I process my identity in Christ, you know what's incredible? You didn't do anything, any of this for yourself. You can earn it. It can only be gifted to you by Jesus. And so when we talk about this idea of like, we need wholeness and healing in our life, and we come to Jesus and we surrender, he transforms us and he gives us a new name and a new identity. This is what Paul explains here in 18. He says, all of this, all of the identity, all the newness, all the transformation, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling to the world, the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, this newness, this wholeness, it is not earned, it is received. It is a gift from God. The root, the foundation of all of Christianity, all discipleship, is not what we could and should have done for God, but what God has done for us through Christ. That is it. That is the foundation of all things. If the only good works you have is what you've worked in yourself, if the only grace you've had, you have is what you found in your own nature, then you have none at all. Our only grace, our only holiness, only righteousness, only goodness. It is a gift of God through Christ Jesus. As Robert Mulholland puts it in his book, Invitation to a Journey, he says, Scripture is clear in its witness to the fact that only God can liberate us from our bondage. Only God can heal our brokenness, cleanse us from our uncleanness, and bring life out of our deadness. We cannot do it by ourselves. Thus, spiritual formation... Pursuing God is the experience of being shaped by God towards wholeness. This is what we're talking about. man. when we talk about being a people who come to church, when we talk about being a people who read our scriptures, when we talk about being a people who pray and get away for silence and solitude and fast and all these things, we are not doing this to earn God's love. We are doing this as a response to God's love that was earned by Jesus. Those are two completely different motivations. It comes from completely different places. There's a pastor named David Platt, and he tells this story. He was in in Indonesia. He was outside this Buddhist temple. And he was standing there with these other religious leaders. One was a a Buddhist priest, and another was like a Muslim leader. And they're sitting there, and they're trying to, to argue David into the fact that, look, all religions are the same. They're all, they all lead to the same God. They're just different paths. And so he looks at him and he's like, he's like, see that mountain? So you're, basically what you're saying to me is this mountain, God is at the top of the mountain and our different religions are just different paths up the mountain. And they're like, you get it. You get it. Yes, different paths, but all leading to the same God. And he looks at them, and he's like, no, you've missed the whole point. See, the foundational truth of Christianity is that none of us can make it up that mountain. But we serve a God who has come down to us, and his name is Jesus. That is what we build our lives upon. This new nature, this new identity, this eternal salvation, it can never be lost. Do you know why? It can never be taken away. Because if you never earned it by your goodness, you can never lose it by your badness. It is Jesus who paid the price. It is Jesus who has gifted this to us. Why do we follow after Jesus? Because he is the God who came down the mountain and said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to the Father except through Jesus. And so this is the good news of the gospel that we build our lives around. And so all of this is leading us towards something. When we talk about this idea of wholeness and healing. When we talk about this idea of discipleship, yes, we have to understand, you're, you're, look, you're not crazy. You're just compelled by something different. You're not your old self, but you're actually a new creation. You've not earned this status, but you've received this identity. All of it is leading us towards a role, a part that we have to play in the kingdom. He ends with this. He says, Therefore, We are ambassadors. In light of all that Jesus has done, we are ambassadors for Christ. And God, He's making His appeal through us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. See, you are not disqualified by your past brokenness, but you are an ambassador of the story of reconciliation. Like, we have this messed up notion in our heads and in our hearts that because we've failed, because we've sinned, because we've screwed up, that somehow our past disqualifies us from future ministry. And that this is so backwards. You ever invited somebody to church and they make some joke about, like, man, I can't step, I can't darken that, you know, doorstep, like, I'll, I'll light on fire as soon as I walk. Like, And you're like, yeah, as if all the other people in our church are righteous, you should meet them, you know, right? <laughs> we have this broken concept, even for those of us who are following Jesus, that we think our past has disqualified us, that our failures have disqualified us. See, this is so backwards. I need to, I need you to understand this. I want to explain this, but The reason you have this backwards is because you are not called to a ministry of righteousness, but one of reconciliation. And and here's what I mean. We don't make people righteous. Jesus does. It is his righteousness. At some point before Jesus died, before the veil was torn into, before Christ cried out, it is finished. There was this incredible spiritual transformation that took place. Where the Father set upon the Son all the guilt and wrath that our sin deserved. And Jesus, He bore it Himself in His perfect, sinless state. He bore your past mistakes. That failure that you can't forgive yourself for, that that, that lie that nobody knows, that area you just fall short over and over. You know what Jesus did? He became that sin that he would put it to death on the cross and that you might have his righteousness. See, that is the ministry of righteousness and that is Jesus's. We are invited into what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation. See, in making us righteous, by giving us his right standing before the Father, he also makes us qualified to live in our calling. Because our story of redemption becomes this incredibly beautiful story. This ministry of reconciliation, it's made possible through this great exchange. Now, look at this phrasing here in verses 18 and 19. What word do you see over and over and over? Can you pull, can you pull that up? Reconciled, reconciliation, reconciling, reconciliation, over and over, and it says it again in verse 21. Over. This is the ministry of taking two things that are broken... Something that is separated and and putting it back together. That is our that is what we are ambassadors to do. That is our role. Okay? So we have been, we are made new in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. So that what? So that we can participate in the redemption story of God making all things new through Jesus, okay? And our, our story has a role to play in that. Because of the work of Jesus, your broken past, it does not disqualify you from future impact. Your broken past, your, transform, your transformation from old to new, it's a testimony to the healing power of God. Man, you should be going around and be like, look, if the Lord can use me, you better believe you have a place in his church. If the Lord can heal me, You better believe you have a spot in his family. If the Lord can use my spouse, then he can use you. This is the story of the church. It's not a bunch of perfect people walking around in our holiness and our righteousness. It's a bunch of broken people pointing to Jesus, the God who came down the mountain and says, But Christ. And because of him, the old is gone and the new has come. This is our identity. Yeah, Do you guys know who Banksy is? Banksy is this—he's um, he, this street artist, and nobody knows his identity. And so he—he he always goes around, and he goes in these different major cities, and, and he has this incredibly unique art. And over the years, he—he's gotten more and more uh, popular. People want to know who he is, but but there's such value placed on his art, and just just incredible worth. And so um, he actually. Somebody com- commissioned, you know, put this out there. That, they, they want him to commission him for a painting. And so he did this simple piece of art, okay? He calls, he calls it, love is in the bin, all right? And so this is it. Maybe you've seen this. And, and he built this frame around it. But, but, but he wants to be unknown. He wants no recognition. And he thinks, you know, thinks every, all the other artists are just sellouts. And so what he did was he actually installed at the bottom of this frame a paper shredder, Okay? with a remote button. And so the, this, this painting goes to auction, and it sells not for like 10 grand, not for like 100 grand, not for like half a million, not for a million, 1.4 million dollars. Yeah, some of you guys are like, I could probably do, yeah, you could, right? Future career, just tithe off it, please, okay? 1.4 million dollars. And the, auction, the auctioneer slams the gavel sold and banks, he's in the crowd and he presses a button. And it starts to shred. So this is people's like actual... You can watch this video. Right? Right, this guy right here is like somebody's getting fired today. <laughs> like, and so you see it just starts you know, working its way down. And it just shreds at the bottom. But, but here's the thing. It, the, the shredder actually jams halfway through. Okay? So this is what the, the painting looks like now. $1.4 million just like that worthless. Except... All good art is about a story, isn't it? All good stories move us. Last year, just three years later, um, this same painting, now shredded, sold for $25 million. (laughs) Why? See, this shredded piece of art is not less valuable but more because of the story that it tells. Can, Can I tell you that your brokenness your past failures. Jesus is writing a better story with it. And if you would bring it into his hands, he wants to use it for his glory and others' good. See, your redeemed life is the story that Jesus wants to tell our city. Your healed heart is the story that Jesus wants to write on other people's lives. Your sin being put to death on the cross gives others hope that they can be set free. It says God is making his appeal through you. And what does that appeal? Be reconciled to God. See, wholeness and healing, it's becoming a new creation in Jesus. It's allowing all the sins of our past and patterns of our family of origin and addictions for today to be taken by Jesus, paid for, forgiven, redeemed, and now used as a story of his grace and his goodness. Yes, this is the story of Jesus. Lord, we... We thank you for the gospel that we need to be reminded of it over and over, no matter how often we come to church. This could be our first time in these doors, or we could have reached a point where we've just become numb to it. Lord, would you over and over freshen us up to the power of your gospel? It's a redemption story. that you are using our brokenness in your hands to build something beautiful that gives you glory and honor and praise and invites other people in. And so, Lord, as we go out from here this week, man, would you just whisper that truth in our hearts? The old is gone. The new has come. And I am making my appeal through you, my new creation. Pray this in your name.